the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. And here at 5.05 on this Thursday, the 13th of January, to say good afternoon to you. Welcome on in. Good to have you with us for another edition of Lifeline. We are here each weekday afternoon from 5 until 7, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Well, on today's program, we've got some good news, ironically, for the second time. Not that I'm repeating myself, though the older I get, <laughs> that seems to be an ever-increasing issue. But in, in reality, I say good news for the second time because twice now, a federal court has ruled against a Senate bill that we've talked about off and on in this program for several months now, Senate Bill 742. What exactly is Senate Bill 742, and why is this good news tonight for the second time? Jonathan Keller, the president of the California Family Council, joins us now with um, more details. And uh, Jonathan, it's, it's frustrating in the first place when lawmakers in Sacramento ignore the Constitution, and then they're warned that they're ignoring the Constitution or likely going to face legal challenges if they proceed with a particular bill. And yet once it's passed, the governor signed it, it attempts to go into law, and of course then court cases ensue, judges rule, determining that, huh, surprise, surprise, it's unconstitutional. Tell us about this particular bill, Senate Bill 742, and why is it good news tonight that yet a second court has said absolutely not? Well, Craig, first off, thanks so much for having me back on. Happy New Year to you and your listeners. It's, it's always good to be with you and representing California Family Council. Um, yeah, when it comes to this bill, SB 742, uh, nobody likes it when someone says, I told you so, uh, but... <laughs> Sometimes that really is the best response. Uh, legislators were warned. They were warned repeatedly, not just our, by our organization, California Family Council, but by pro-life advocates and other religious liberty groups all across the state that this bill, trying to restrict speech outside of so-called vaccination sites, this was going to run afoul of the First Amendment. And we saw today in a similar situation that the Supreme Court of the United States, by a six to three vote, struck down the vaccination mandate on behalf of OSHA. And I think, Craig, the thing that these two things have in common, the six three decision by the Supreme Court today and this decision by the California court in the uh, the protest law, the protest restriction, I think it's just a reminder for our friends on the left that there is no pandemic exception. There is no COVID loophole for the First Amendment or for the Constitution and the separation of powers more generally. Uh, just because there might be a chance that this regulation or this rule or this mandate might be able to reduce 
the spread of COVID-19, or maybe it will help encourage vaccinations. That's not a good reason to trample on the Constitution and especially on the First Amendment. No, and that almost, uh, Jonathan, seems like a bit of a red herring to me. I mean, looking at this particular measure, the way it was crafted, and the fact that it put in restrictions on things that have long held as constitutionally protected, like passing out handbills, displaying signs, engaging in education, striking up a conversation. I mean, these are things that have been fundamental to the Constitution since the Bill of Rights. And to see them try and suggest that, well, we just want to make sure that people are not intimidating others from potentially going into a clinic to receive a vaccination and doing so in the name of public health, as I say, seems to be a bit of a red herring, particularly since many of these so-called clients uh, that they're wishing to protect uh, and the vaccinations that they're purportedly going to receive are at Planned Parenthood clinics, seems to be not only a red herring, but a pretty big one. Yes, I think that's absolutely true. And it's it's really the case that any time, I hate to say this, but any time the folks at Planned Parenthood and their very aggressive and very well-funded allies in Sacramento, can anytime they can try to attack the pro-life cause, they're going to use every underhanded uh, measure at their disposal to do so. And I, I, I hate to ascribe such bad faith to people, but, I mean, really, we're talking about... We're talking about this last line of defense. We're talking about men and women who lovingly, compassionately stand outside of Planned Parenthood clinics and other abortion facilities and lovingly, compassionately, graciously offer a final plea, a final appeal and say, please, please, would you consider any other alternative? Would you consider adoption for the child in your, your womb? Would you consider parenting your child and, and will help pro- provide resources and provide support and compassion? And the fact that that alone, that, I mean, already there are so many avenues for the abortion industry to receive funding through our taxpayer dollars. The Planned Parenthood activists and educators, quote unquote, are already in high schools and even middle schools and elementary schools across the state of California. And yet that's not good enough. They want to even try to foreclose the possibility that a Christian counselor that is praying outside of one of these facilities might turn away even a single woman. And I think, sadly, that's really what you saw at the heart of this. Uh, if, If this was only dealing with vaccination, if it was only dealing with well, we want to make sure everybody is not harassed. Well, look, you know, I, I have friends that are vaccinated. I have friends that are unvaccinated. Nobody that I know, regardless of where you fall on that, that particular issue, nobody I know thinks that you should be harassed or intimidated if you sincerely, you know, you've prayed and you think getting vaccinated is the best for me and my family. I, I don't know a single person that supports harassment. But at the same time, what these what these pro-life advocates are doing outside of a clinic, this is not harassment. This is a loving, kind, compassionate appeal just aimed at saving unborn human lives. Well, and I think, you know, the, the the real tell here, in my opinion, is that while this particular bill, Senate Bill 742, is, is overly broad in terms of its application, uh, I find it interesting to note that they took 
the time to be careful enough that while they weren't so concerned that this would be a constitutional violation, they nevertheless made sure that certain exemptions were incorporated into the bill, for example, an exemption for speech related to labor disputes. So they, they want to protect the labor unions. So that's, that speech somehow is protected, and yet speech related to religious belief, pro-life views, just striking up a conversation with somebody on the street, which is, I think, why uh, we've seen this turned down by, by justices now two times over, because they recognize as well that while this is a clearly and intentionally overly broad regulation, it, it, it seems to give a wink and a nod to some of their allies, and not to suggest that every labor union is necessarily uh, you know, uh, in cahoots with organizations like Planned Parenthood, but the fact that they made that carve-out told me that they fully knew exactly what it was that they were doing. And the intent here wasn't to protect people who want to come in and receive a vaccination without harassment, but rather the broader way in which they saw this as a means of restricting and limiting speech related to pro-life issues at clinics across the state. You know, I, I think you are absolutely correct. And that, that exemption that you mentioned, I, I, every time I hear about it, to be honest, um, I, I had somewhat forgotten about that exemption until you brought it up. Even though I've given several radio interviews in the past on this very issue, that particular exemption on behalf of labor unions is so egregious that I, sometimes I have to remind myself, Craig, that it's actually a real thing. <laughs> they actually thought that they could get away with saying, well, if you're a pro-life grandmother and you're prayerfully passing out literature, if you're holding a sign that says, this is what your baby looks like at 12 weeks, you know, please, please choose life. That is harassment. That is uh, illegal under this bill. But if you are a big, uh, burly group of construction workers engaging in a labor protest, you can stand outside with as many signs, with as many people as you want, and that is protected First Amendment activity. I mean, it, it really takes your breath away to think the legislature thought they could get away with that and that the courts would let that stand. Yeah, they also apparently don't believe that uh, our side can read. <laughs> and this is why they thought they were going to slip this thing in. Well, it's a delight to know that uh, twice now this has been upheld as uh, constitutionally verboten. And uh, hopefully now the state will get the message and uh, will have seen the last of this. Now, that doesn't suggest that they're not going to come back and try, as they have many times down through the years. Um, but at least for the moment, we've gotten a victory. Again, this ban, Senate Bill 742, overturned the second time by a second court found to be unconstitutional because it, again, tramples on protected speech. Jonathan Keller is the president of the California Family Council. What a great job they do up in Sacramento, not only bringing these issues to us, but defending California families. More information available on the web at californiafamily.org. That's californiafamily.org. And when you think about helping to support families in California, be mindful, too, that this organization is need of your support, too, directly. So, with more information about how to become a donor and support the California Family Council, online at californiafamily.org. And now, back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
All right, welcome back to the conversation. We turn a corner now to, um, well, a young lady I've never met before. I've heard about her once or twice, but uh, (laughs) wink, wink, nod, nod. Um, I want to spend a couple of minutes here talking about not just the issue kind of tied into what we just discussed here with Jonathan Keller regarding the attempts to try and and, um, shut down free speech at abortion clinics across the state. But we've also seen many attempts to try and stifle the work of pro-life centers that are providing women with real choice. And by that, I mean the ability to make informed decisions based on the entire story, not just selected portions of it, based largely on and motivated by money. Toward that end, of course, organizations like Real Options across the San Francisco Bay Area stand with women who find themselves in unplanned pregnancies that have questions, need support, need answers. Sean Beretta joins us now, Community Outreach and Development Manager with Real Options. And uh, Sean, <laughs> great to hear your voice. Oh, yeah. I, uh, long-time friend. <laughs> yeah, long, long time. As I, as I said, wink, wink, nod, nod. Not quite sure who she is, but she's good. To, great to have her on the show. Sean, let's talk a bit about the organization from the standpoint of how we as the church can and should be standing with real options. Of course, prayerful support, financial support, volunteerism, all of those things are critically important. But there are other ways and other needs that the centers have right now. So maybe as we kick off the new year here, you can give us some insights into terms of in terms of how uh, what some of those needs look like and most importantly how we can help. Yeah, so you know, churches can engage in many ways. Um, we work with churches, uh, we give them resources, we do training for them with our education, but moreover, we need our pastors to actually take a stand and talk about the um, life-affirming uh, choices that women should be making today. We have healing with the post-abortion uh, ministry that we have, and we should be talking about that in churches as well, so that people know that they have a place to go and there's no shame. Some of the areas in which, as I mentioned, people can get involved beyond uh, prayerful support is certainly financial support. Uh, All of these centers are operating as full-on medical clinics, so that means you have professional equipment that has to be purchased, has to be maintained, and you need professionals to operate them. And uh, there is uh, medically certified trained um, staff at all of these locations, including nurses. Talk to us a bit about that. So right now, you know, we've expanded here in the Bay Area. We have now five medical clinics in three counties in the Bay Area. And we are not just expanding... Um, regionally, we're expanding the medical services in the um, clinics as well, and that means that we need more medical professionals on our team. We are currently looking to hire additional nurses, both full-time and part-time, a nurse practitioner, as well as non-medical staff for our clinics. But really, our immediate need is to have registered nurses. And, of course, what's important about this, again, as I mentioned, is that the real options clinics across the Bay Area are not only there to provide moral support, answer questions, provide information, stand alongside women going through what is often a very frightening 
period in their life because they've found themselves in an unplanned pregnancy. They may not know to whom they can turn to for support or for answers. They may be uh, pressure brought to bear upon them by maybe a husband or a boyfriend or family that, that doesn't want the woman to carry that child to, turn and is, uh, to term and is forcing her to make a decision that maybe she doesn't altogether feel comfortable with. And beyond that, of course, some of the basic services that some women um, either don't have access to or are afraid to take advantage of, like, well, how do I confirm for in fact that I am pregnant? Or uh, how long, how far in, what's, what's the development looking like here? Um, where, where does a woman go to receive an ultrasound, for example? These services and more are all a part of what's offered to women who come through the doors of Real Options. And, and I guess it's important to add here, Sean, that there's no charge for these services whatsoever. Well, we do. We have low to no um, no fee services. So we do take Medi-Cal, which opened up our services to a lot more um, folks here in the Bay Area. And our services, you know, of course we have... Uh, the ultrasounds and the pregnancy verification and um, viability testing, but we have well women care and prenatal care. We have uh, STD and STI testing and treatment for both men and women, and we are able to serve these women and men and do it within their financial constraints. That's critically important. I mean, it, 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 it means that there is nothing beyond their access in that low to no approach. And uh, as I mentioned, oftentimes women might find it either cost prohibitive um, to, to go to a, uh, another medical facility. That facility also may not entirely be supportive or understanding. They're there to do one thing, provide medical services and nothing more. And yet there is that holistic approach within real options that really is making the critical difference. And so toward that end, because these are indeed full-on medical clinics, you need to have professionals staffing them. And so if someone eavesdropping on our conversation right now says, you know, I've got a background in nursing and I I would love to explore um, getting involved and making a difference at real options, what's the best way to reach out to you? Well, they can call, um, they can send an email to Tasha, who is our nurse, Manager at Tasha, T-A-S-H-A, at realoptions.net, or go to our friends of realoptions.net website and go to the employment tab and look at some of the opportunities that are there. So, you know, our nurses are are, um, champions. We love all of our staff in our clinics, but the nurses are the ones who sit in the room when that woman is getting that ultrasound to to verify her pregnancy and check for viability. And, you know, I'm able to do tours a lot with our supporters and community partners. And one of the things that I hear all the time is that every woman, whether she is planning to carry that baby to term when she walks in the door or she is contemplating terminating that pregnancy, in that time when the ultrasound is being performed and that nurse is looking for that heartbeat that woman is a mother and she knows it so that's where the magic happens that's where the holy spirit comes alive in these women's hearts and minds and 
lives are changed. And these nurses, our nurses, get to have that experience every day with their patients. And as you mentioned, this is real frontline work. So it's not just an opportunity to apply your trade, so to speak, your background and experience in nursing to help women, but to also be there for them at a critical time when they've got real serious questions and they need answers. They need support and encouragement. And so uh, this is a unique opportunity. So if you want to get more information, you can certainly go to the employment tab at friendsofrealoptions.net. Or if you are a nurse and would like to find out more about employment opportunities with friend, with Real Options, simply send uh, that email to Tasha, T-A-S-H-A, at realoptions.net. Again, that's an email with your resume to Tasha at realoptions.net. Or simply go online to friendsofrealoptions.net and check out the employment tab. That's friendsofrealoptions.net. Well, there's a person barely known to me, uh, Sean Beretta. <laughs> Sean, great to hear your voice. Again, Happy New Year to you. Appreciate the update. Sean Beretta, Community Outreach and Development Manager with Real Options. 530 from KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Over the course of the last, oh, I don't know, 45-something years now, within many arenas of public education in states large and small, states like ours here in California to even parts of the Midwest, there's been this slow paradigm shift taking place. Maybe you've witnessed some of it. It's march away from so-called classical or basic education, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic, the three R's, along with a foundation of morality and values that has served and guided our nation for literally centuries. But over the last 40 years, as I mentioned, there has been a slow move away from all of this. And it's almost um, like erosion that eats away at rock. You might not notice it at first, but give it time and before you know it, it can eat clean through and build something like a great cavern. Maybe something like the Grand Canyon, for example, that was all cut by the force of nothing more than moving water. Well, like moving water, some of the extremist liberal agenda moving through public education has been cutting away at that rock, that bedrock, that foundation of public education. And we're slowly beginning to pay the price. But now imagine, if you would, not just slow-moving water cutting away at that rock, but running it through a pressurized system that has the capacity to eat through and erode through that foundation so rapidly that in a short period of time, nothing of what we would recognize as historical, classic education will be left. Insights on this are detailed inside of a brand new book, newly released and available on Amazon.com, called Take Back Education. And with us is its author, Joe Murray. He, Joe, of course, is an educator himself, constitutional lawyer and reporter. Joe, it was good to have you with us. It's great to be here, Craig. How are you doing out there in hopefully sunny San Francisco? 
Well, a little bit overcast today, but that's uh, that's okay. <laughs> if if the overcast brings us a little bit of rain these days here on the West Coast, uh, we'll <laughs> we'll take all the rain that we can get. But that that sense of of dark skies is not just a description, I think, Joe, of the weather. Some might go yeah. as far as to say that those dark clouds are also hanging over the future of public education. We talked yeah. briefly a couple of weeks ago, just in the uh, the leading edge of the launch of your new book on this, but I wanted to spend some time with you today going a bit deeper so that our listeners can truly understand. And I'll begin by sort of issuing a bit of a disclaimer here. And the disclaimer is that don't think that if you are not a parent or a grandparent of school-age children that this somehow doesn't affect you and therefore you're going to turn the radio or go do something else uh, elsewhere. This, in fact, has the capacity of not only impacting our neighborhoods, our communities, our states, but even the very future of our nation because classical education has been so foundational to this nation and maybe is sort of a, a primer for the uninitiated here and those that think it don't affect them. Maybe, Joe, you can help us understand some of this paradigm shift and what's, what's happening is, as we're seeing now a, a slow moving away from teaching children how to think, how to reason, and instead just indoctrinating them in what to think. Yeah, you know, for your audience, classical education, I'm going to I'm going to put the cookies on the bottom shelf. Its foundation is something called the trivium, which is you first have students learn the the grammar of the content. That is usually done in the elementary levels. When you get to the middle schools, the students then begin to learn to think logically so they can take that content grammar they learned and can begin to logically analyze it. So by the time they get to high school, they're able to articulate that or use rhetoric to not only understand and communicate and teach, but also to persuade. And it's been the cornerstone of, of Western society. It, it's, it stems from the ancient Greeks and the ancient Romans. And as we moved up to the Middle Ages into the Renaissance, uh, it has also been intertwined with Christianity. It doesn't have to be, because that's usually the big objection. If they say, well, classical means Christian. Uh, no, it can, but it does not have to. And what classical education does is it teaches students to be standalone thinkers, standalone citizens. It teaches them that you not only need to know material, because, you know, you can be the smartest person in the room, Craig, but if you do not have the character, if you do not have the common sense, the street smart, so to speak, the citizenship, then that education and that smart doesn't do you any good. And, and you transition that, or you, you juxtapose that to mock education, where every state in the 50 states gives teachers a list of standards. So take me, for example, I teach seventh grade world history. I have about 60 standards that I have to teach these, these students, and they will be tested on in that, that grand test that we have at the end of the year. All the state wants me to do is just treat these kids like an assembly lot. They're, they're parts in a car. I get through this standard, check. Get through this standard, check. There is really no in-depth discussion. Uh, there's no talk of anything outside of that standard. And I'll give you a hint. Uh, for seventh grade here in Tennessee, we totally ignore the Slavic and the Orthodox tradition that developed in medieval Russia, uh, which I think is a very important part of history when you talk about Mongols and so forth. But I'm not going to get into the weeds here. 
But the point is, is that modern education is very much focused. It's laser focused. It tells you what you have to teach. And then we move on to the next important thing. It tells you how to teach it with a scripted curricula. And then the worst thing of all, it's now taking away grading. And it's doing this, Craig, because it doesn't want a free flow of information. It doesn't want a free discussion. It doesn't want students standing on their own and developing their own opinions and being able to defend their own ideas. What we're trying to do now is create a culture of conformity in which those writing the curriculum get to tell the students what they believe. And that's troubling for anyone because those in the desk right now for your future congressperson, your future CEO, you know, your future police officer, we want our future generations that are going to take these leadership roles to be equipped in the world. And we're not doing that. We're just teaching them what to think and we're not teaching them how to think. And, you know, the irony with this is that we're already beginning to see the negative results of this because much of the current state of our nation today is directly, I believe, attributable to this teaching to the test, so to speak, that that really began to gain momentum in the 1960s and 70s and ever since then has been on steroids. And now today, uh, it's it's not only completely ignoring passing on the capacity to engage in critical thinking and judgment and uh, analysis and, and many of these things that go into so many jobs. I mean, today, if you're going to be a doctor, you need to engage in analysis and critical thinking. And, and, and that's true for scientists and inventors and so many professions that require that. And yet we're really depriving children of that. It's almost the easy way out. And I, and I think what I find most troubling, Joe, is the fact that in this approach of sort of teaching to the test, as I call it, um, that it is almost like memory. Uh, students memorize, they can repeat things by rote so that they're capable of passing the test, but they do so in this gigantic vacuum of understanding or what baseline wisdom is all about and how one goes about gaining wisdom and certainly in a values vacuum. And so it isn't any wonder that if we don't question how and why and, and what motivates people, that, that suddenly now these children, uh, yeah, may, maybe they can give you, you know, quote, quote, date and time and location, but, but why something happened, what the motivation was behind it, um, all of those aspects of distinguishing from right and wrong, um, helping students to, to understand how to think before you act, consider our actions and how they, they impact other people. These are all classic lessons about civility that are relevant in today's world that have been historically a part of classical education that slowly is being eaten away. Yeah, and, and you bring up a, a number of great points, and I want to kind of address them. Number one is, you know, when I start my class every year, I always ask, because I have a bunch of 11 and 12-year-olds, and I say, how many of you think history is about a bunch of old dead people that have no relationship to it, and most of the hands go up? And what people don't realize, history, world history, for future leaders, it tells you how to lead. It shows you examples. It, it basically is a, a cheat sheet to how to become successful. You can study the best leaders to say, how did they get there? You know, how did Charlemagne, how did these folks become so successful? Then you can look at some of the leaders that were not successful. 
what did they do? So not only are you teaching, like you would say, more of the baseline facts, you're teaching life lessons that are going to develop not only the content knowledge, it's going to develop the character of these students. But there's a horrible trend that has taken over public education, and it is that conformity. You know, I talked to you about the standards. Every state has standards that teachers have to teach. It limits teachers' ability or teachers' ability to teach. And here's the thing, Craig, every curriculum writer is tied to those standards. And what we see now is that curriculum writers have amazing control over what's going on in the education. Many people think that you have teachers who might be at the center who are trying to indoctrinate children, and I'm sure there are. I'm not saying there aren't. But what people don't realize is that you have left of center curriculum writers. Most states require school districts to purchase curriculum that are approved by the Board of Education for the state. The dirty little secret is in most states there's only a handful of curriculums to choose from, usually two, three, or four. And they are all bid upon. They're very lucrative contracts. And once that happens, Craig, the teacher is going to read it. You know, when I went into education, Craig, I was shocked. There are actually curriculums that you give a teacher and it says, open your class, introduce yourself to the class. My name is so-and-so, 30 seconds. And then it has the lesson time to the minute, and you are to read a script, and you're not allowed to deviate. If your students engage in a great discussion, if it exceeds the three-minute time limit, you are told to move on. And this, this robotic way of education is about programming, because you hit the nail on the head. You talked about just rank memorization. That's correct, but ask yourself, what are they memorizing and how is that being presented? And it's all left of center. And the reason that's the reason we have this conformity here, and that's why classical education has been given the boot, because classical education is not about conformity. It's about the beauty of the individual. It's about the journey to discover knowledge and discover your own identity. And they don't want that in public education today, and it's a, it's a very sad and disheartening thing. Well, and I appreciate you bringing that perspective because I think all too often there is a uh, a quick leap to judgment that somehow uh, everyone that works for a teacher's union must have an evil agenda about them. And yet I've known teachers and think, well, these people are nothing like what we think they are. And I think part of the problem here is that they have a love for teaching, they have a love for children, uh, they, they want to help to impart knowledge and to, uh, to shape young minds and equip them with the tools that they will need to be successful in life, to be the next inventor, the next president of the United States, the person who discovers the cure for cancer, all of that. And yet they are so often, as you say, hamstrung, boxed in, confined to a, a very strict lesson plan that oftentimes is written by a, a small group of people that are setting the tone and agenda for the entire state. In some cases, some of this curricula is being used across the country, and you either kind of play by the rules or go find yourself a new career path. And that's troubling. And, and, and even more so, and I want to get into this after we come back after the break, even more so troubling has been this, this, this current uh, agenda that seems to be focusing on our differences, what has divided us, all of the negativity in past times, past cultures, past way of seeing things. And, you know, sadly, for a long time now, um, we have been obsessing, I think, over our differences uh, 
as opposed to the ways in which we are actually at the core level basically the same. And when when we see this almost built-in effort towards conquer and divide, realize that that now is being transmitted, so to speak, to the next generation. And this is the reason why if we don't wake up and recognize what's happening here, as we see this purge of classical education from the public classroom, recognize that we are going to head down a path that will be impossible to reverse and beyond the pale of our ability to recover from. And my fear is, and I, I know some are going to think I'm going for uh, the, the jugular here, Joe, but my fear is that if we continue down this pathway, we might very well wind up like past great countries and great societies where we have essentially doomed ourselves. What's the old adage from uh, Shakespeare? We've met the enemy and he is us. With us today is constitutional lawyer educator and author Joe Murray. Joe has a new book out called Take Back Education that really helps to shed the light on not just where we've been, where we're at today, where we are headed, and most importantly, offers insights and understanding to help reverse this dangerous trend before it's too late. His new book, Take Back Education, available now on Amazon.com. That's on Amazon.com, the book called Take Back Education education. We'll take a time out. We'll come back to more of our conversation with best-selling author and educator Joe Murray as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're back with constitutional lawyer and best-selling author, educator Joe Murray. His new book is called Take Back Education, where he literally pulls back the lid on what exactly historical classical education is, why it's important, the trends that we're seeing in modern education today, the danger signs, and most importantly, what we can do to address all this before it's too late. His new book, Take Back Education, available at Amazon.com. That's Take Back Education by Joe Murray. Joe, spend a couple of moments, if you would, in terms of helping us to gain some better understanding as to how we go about really addressing these trends that we're seeing take place. Uh, Clearly, there's a desire to pull us as far away from classical education as possible. My fear is that this creates not only a values vacuum, but as I suggested before the break, we seem to be teaching to our differences now instead of the things that brings us together. Now, I'm not for a moment suggesting that we whitewash history, pretend as if bad things didn't happen. You know, (laughs) history is loaded with wars, rumors of wars, bloody confrontations bad decisions. I mean, it it is basically a a running narrative of man's inhumanity to man and the sin nature, the fallen condition of mankind. But it isn't all bad news. But but sadly, there's a modern-day trend that suggests that it's just nothing but bad news. Yeah, I mean, this is the problem. I have not met a history teacher alive who says that we should whitewash the horrors that that happened in this country, not just to African American, but to the to the Asian Americans who built the rail, helped build the railroad, to the Native Americans, uh, to the Irish immigrant. Um, you know, we are fallen. We are all fallen by nature, so we do bad things. But we also have that grace among us that also brings up great things. And what you're seeing here, and and this is where I think a lot of people get confused with the 
grand critical race theory debate, nobody that I know of is arguing that you just ignore slavery. You teach it. You teach the what happened during Reconstruction. You teach what happened in the 60s. Where the critical race theory, and this is why you never hear it, because if you ever notice, that's what proponents of critical race theory say, you don't want to teach history. No, that's true. We, well, That's not true. We want to teach history. What we don't want to do is apply that standard to the current day. And what you do if you look at some of the literature from the people who support this, they want to take the idea of white privilege. Now, look, there is no doubt that people have privilege in this society. But one of the biggest proponents, and I've read the book, it says, by the very nature of being white, you have gotten an unfair advantage and continue to do so today. And I think to myself, that's the same argument that used to be used a few decades ago with affirmative action against minorities. You didn't get this job because you were qualified. You got it because of affirmative action. It was wrong then, and it's wrong now. We should not be dividing. You should not be teaching children that just because one of your friends has a different skin skin color, they're either oppressed or they're the oppressor. And that is what critical race theory does. It has nothing to do with ignoring the evils of history. It has everything to do with changing the character of the modern day in hopes of changing the fabric of the future. And that is the problem. And we're not having that discussion. We're kind of having a, a kind of an off-topic discussion because nobody wants to really recognize what's going on here. And, and you know, I, I think to your point, educating children so that, yes, the, the, we understand, we acknowledge that there is immense value in education. It provides historic and timely perspectives. It helps, hopefully, if we learn from it, uh, it gives us the capacity to not re- repeat the mistakes of the past. But, but, but when we're going to teach education, it has to be done rooted in wisdom, virtual, and, and a moral foundation. And we need to be striving for children to understand, most importantly, the most important lesson that they can walk away with is the tools that they need to strive to become better and not get caught up in the mire of all of the worst parts of who we've been. Again, not suggesting for a moment that we shouldn't teach history and within context. And yes, sometimes, sadly, it does get whitewashed. And yes, there have been cases of statues that have been put up to uh, heroes of the um, uh, the Civil War that, quite frankly, belong in a museum, not in the center plaza of some town. But that said... I think we really need to be cautious here in making sure that we're providing a balanced education, and sadly, that seems to be going by the wayside. Let me ask you this, Joe, as our time winds down uh, in a moment or two, what are some of the steps that parents, citizens, folks that are just concerned about the future of our nation can and should be taking to bring balance back to all this? Well, and this is key, I'm so glad you asked this. People get kind of all into this whole critical race theory debate, which is important, but it's not the most important thing. Look at your school's grading policy. This is, I know it sounds as boring, and it's, it's not really as sexy, but grading sets the tone. If your school has what's called progressive grading, you need to be concerned. You know, if your school wants to do away with D's and F's, you need to be concerned. If your school allows students to take tests as many times as they can to get a passing grade, 
have concerns. It's these little things, Craig, because it's how we teach our children to be adults, right? It's how we teach our children to be responsible. If we're telling our kids, and, and many school districts do this, that they can take a test three or four or five times until they get the grade they want, what incentive do they have to study the first time? And frankly, what incentive do incentive do the kids that are working hard, what incentive do they have to study? And this is the thing that I talk about in the book, is that we are basically removing incentive, we're removing competition, we're removing individualism from the classroom to try to get everyone in this mediocre middle. So grading is key. You want to make sure that your schools are maintaining that traditional classical grading policy because that's how they're changing the culture. Because if you allow students to basically phone it in, you're going to have adults who phone it in. And I think that's part of the problem we're seeing right now with a, with a civilization and a society that gets their news from Twitter and not actually reading, you know, a Twitter feed and not actually reading the articles themselves. So grading is key. That's where I would tell people to start. Start with the little stuff. Make sure that's secure. There's always time to fight the big stuff. And, Joe, we've just kind of begun to peel back the onion here, and uh, we're going to have to get you back on when we've got more time and, and <laughs> less interruptions to really dive deeper because this is so critically important. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing the results of some of this going unchecked, playing out that is contributory to many of the problems going on in our nation and society today. So if you wonder what the end results looks like if you do absolutely nothing, just sit back and do nothing and watch it unfold on the news, and this country will barely be uh, recognizable in five years' time. A good way to start to understand the challenges before us, and most importantly, many of the solutions are inside the pages of Take Back Education. Again, newly released, available on Amazon. It's written by Joe Murray. Joe, as always, we appreciate the time and the insights. Look forward to getting back together with you real soon here, a bit more in-depth, too. There's Joe Murray. Again, the book, Take Back Education, available at Amazon.com. 601 from KFAX. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.